happy March 14th. It is Sunday and I'm actually recording this live this morning. It's going to actually launch same day. This isn't something that's super normal, but uh, I figured I had some time and had some things to talk about. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Oliver Michael, first of all, for letting us license his music for the show intro. Um, I'll link to his Spotify in the show notes. Go check his music out, guys. Um, if you like the, sh- the song intro, I'm sure you'll love the rest of his tracks. He's a brilliant musician and he's got a lot of awesome stuff on his Spotify. Um, yeah, so it just dumped a ton of snow here in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's beautiful outside. I just got the dogs out for, for a little bit. And I wanted to take a couple minutes to read a chapter from a book I'm currently reading. This is Relationships um, by the School of Life. A lot of you guys obviously know I'm a huge fan of Alain de Botton. Um, he is a philosopher, writer, uh, still has one of the most read New York Times online articles titled Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. I'll link to that in the show notes too. Brilliant article. There's also a Google talk he gave that is also brilliant. But uh, this is chapter seven in the book Relationships by the School of Life. This chapter is titled Loving and Being Loved. We speak of love as if it were a single, undifferentiated thing, but in truth, it comprises two very different modes, being loved and loving. Part of getting better at relationships means growing a little readier to do the latter and a little more aware of our unnatural and dangerous fixations on the former. We start out knowing only about being loved. That's how it was when we were infants and others ministered to us. In our early years, we could do nothing but receive love. Someone was on hand to comfort us, to play with us, to ask us how we were feeling and to attempt as hard as they could to soothe our worries. For our part, we had to do very little in return. It wasn't our role to ask the parent how their day was or suggest that given how tired they were, they might like to go upstairs for a nap. This style of relating to someone with the other as our guide, helper, and servant can, without anyone wishing anyone else ill, naturally come to seem the norm of what love should be. To the child, it just feels as if the parent were spontaneously on hand to comfort, guide, entertain, feed, and clear up, while remaining almost constantly warm and cheerful. And parents do their utmost to hide that there might be an alternative reality. They strive to suppress their moments of rage, despair, and indifference. We take this lopsided view of love with us into adulthood, our first entirely unconscious move. When we reach our teenage years, is to hope for a recreation in adulthood of what it felt like to be ministered to and indulged as a child. In a secret corner of our mind, we picture a lover who will anticipate our needs, read our hearts, act selflessly, and make our world better and more complete. It sounds romantic, and it turns out to be a blueprint for trouble and disaster if we insist on it too fervently. Perhaps you never had such a figure in your life, but let's imagine for a moment what a good mother might have been like. When you were a baby, she fed you in the night. You cried at 3 a.m. She got up to comfort you until you eventually found your way back to sleep an hour later. When you had a cold, she brought you egg and soldiers in bed. It's a very British thing. She was very interested in small things about you, like how you did in school, geography, how you did in school geography exam, or the grades you got on your knee in the running race. Nowadays, she wants you to be happy. Professional success isn't the point. And when you mess up, your troubles are hers. She will put her own needs aside for you. She won't demand that you take her difficulties as seriously as she takes yours. 
It's an extraordinary image of what love could be. And as adults, we can be forgiven for first demanding this sort of love from another. However, we are likely to make a bitter discovery in the process that we cannot now seem to locate an approximation of love we knew as children. We may rage against this and blame the other person for their inability to perfectly intuit our needs and love us enough until this day we reach a true maturity, realizing that the only release from our longing for this sort of selfless one directional love is to stop demanding it exclusively for ourselves and to learn at times when we have the energy and imagination to give it to somebody else, to learn to make the same moves from our lover as an ideal parent once made for us. We won't manage it all the time and nor should we be expected to. Adult love can only ever be a judicious blend of a request for and an offer of help. Yet it is not uncommon for a couple to seem like two small children who have been left alone in the nursery and are both wailing that they have been ignored, neither of them able to step into the adult role for long enough to build up the other and then see their efforts returned. We should recognize how often relationships legitimately require us to put our own needs aside for a time in order to minister to another's suffering. That is when we will have finally learned the tricky task of knowing how to love rather than simply to be loved. I love this chapter. Um, I'm about halfway through this book and it's a phenomenal piece of work, just like every other thing that's produced from the school of life. Um, but for some reason, this, this chapter I marked down significantly um, and I just really sort of stood out to me on my journey through reading this piece. And I think a lot of us struggle with this. I just had an interaction yesterday with a new acquaintance and I posted about this on my Instagram in a post and uh, I ran into this gal and we were talking about uh, her recent separation with a partner of three years. And she sort of started to explain this pattern of, you know, she's been in relationships her entire life uh, since she was very young and, you know, they've lasted for two, three, four to five years at the most. And she's always sort of fallen out of love with the men she's in a relationship with. And um, I asked her, I was like, well, do you, you know, do you ever feel like you really truly love these people? And she's like, oh yeah, of course. You know, I love them while I was in love with them, but you know, I don't love them anymore. And so our most recent relationship, I asked, you know, do, do you miss this man that you separated from? And she said, no, I don't miss him at all. Like I'm a lot happier being alone. I'm like, okay, well that's, that seems healthy, right? Like, you know, you obviously know a relationship's not for you if you're happier being alone. But then I asked, you know, have you used this time at all to sort of look at like your own patterns or the negative things you contribute in the relationship? Like, have you looked at any of the things you might be accountable for? And again, I was very sort of passive. I don't know this person. So I wasn't trying to dig too deep, but she brought it up and we were chatting about it. Um, and she said, no, um, she's like, I, I feel like the only thing I really needed to change was my situation. You know, I just needed to leave the relationship. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting because, you know, that makes sense. If the relationship's over, I get it. You know, we're, it's, it's over and it's done and ended. But if you, if you look at the pattern that we're sort of, you know, the individual sort of partaking in here, it's that, you know, at a certain point, she's falling out of love with everybody that she's with. And so I asked her about that and she's like, well, you know, could it be that I just, you know, haven't met the right person yet? And I'm like, yeah, no, it very well could be totally. But I think also in order to meet the right person, we have to sort of start to become the right person for ourselves. And that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. But I think at the core of it is what this chapter sort of gets to. We have to understand how to love another, not just how to be loved, not just how to accept love. We have to really understand how to give love. And I really think the only way to understand how to fully give love 
is to fully invest in knowing oneself, meaning examining your trauma, examining your childhood, looking at patterns in your closest, most romantic relationships. Because a lot of times we're, we don't act the same in friendships as we do in our loving relationships. And a lot of times in our loving relationships, if we really invest the time for self-study after those end, or even if we're still in them, it makes a huge difference. We can sort of come away from that experience, whether we're still in the relationship or whether it's ended. And, you know, through those wounds are sort of windows into growth. And hopefully we can attract, you know, a better partner, or I wouldn't say better, but, uh, you know, a partner that meets uh, the sort of things on our list that uh, we're, we're most looking for them to meet, whether that be emotional uh, capacity, emotional intelligence, or whatever is on the list for yourself, right? And so I asked her, I was like, have you ever been to therapy? And I told her, I, you know, I took myself to therapy when I was 23. I've been in there off and on since then. Really has helped me sort of look at myself and take accountability for my own um, shortcomings and relationships and also realize what's not mine to own, what is the responsibility of the other. But, you know, I can't, we can't change other people again. Um, it's been a lesson I've continuously learned. And for me, it's like, well, what am I going to do with this? with this uh, new open door, I, you know, again, I can either walk the other way or I can walk through it and become a new version of myself, hopefully better and healthier for myself, for others I love and for, you know, whoever is my next partner in life. Um, and she said, no, I, why would I go to therapy? I don't have any problems. And to me, that's, you know, a super big red flag in anyone, right? I mean, if someone were to say like, I don't have any problems, you know, just because you don't feel you don't have any problems and you don't have to have major depression or anger or, you know, we all have problems, ladies and gentlemen, we do. And if you're one of the people that's sitting there thinking you're easy to be with, or you don't have problems, you really need to read a bit more on <laughs> how, how difficult it is to be um, with another human, right? Because we're all difficult in certain ways, you know, um, even the, you know, meditation masters or someone that's, you know, quote unquote, so enlightened uh, by our uh, view of what enlightenment is. I mean, everyone has problems. Everyone can be difficult to be with. And it's really, we must examine those within ourselves to fully understand what it's like to be with us in a relationship. So again, we build that self-knowledge, we see our patterns and we can give that wisdom to someone we fall in love with as they give us theirs. And that is how compatibility is built over time by continuously showing up for each other, by continuously being vulnerable, being authentic, putting in the work, right? I mean, we, we throw this term around a lot, do the work. And um, Nicole Lepera, the holistic psychologist, just published a book that is titled How to Do the Work. That's a brilliant title, first of all, because a lot of people have that question. Well, I see that hashtag all the time, do the work or show up. And what does that mean? I mean, it really means to take yourself to therapy or find ways to get to know yourself better. Sit down alone by yourself with your phone away from you without Netflix on and sit with how you're feeling and the thoughts that arise. I think a lot of times in our rushed society, we don't find boredom. Okay. Anymore. We constantly have to be doing something. We constantly have to be entertained. And that is one of the issues. Um, and one of the contributing factors to our declination of mental health and connectivity with other humans is that we rarely get to know ourselves. And getting to know yourself is a lot different than, you know, the sort of self-love ideals of buying yourself a ticket to Hawaii to travel or, you know, um, going on a trip or buying yourself a nice thing or whatever. Getting to know yourself really involves sitting down alone in a quiet space, whether it's meditation or not. And really, you can either journal or just listen, you know, 
and really try to understand where certain feelings are coming from. And if you're not tapped into those feelings of their own emotion, work towards that. Because I guarantee you, you know, we all have unhealthy things that pop up, whether it be, uh, you know, anger, aggression, avoidance, uh, anxious behavior, you know, and some of us more than others for sure, but we can only work on ourselves again. And, uh, you know, the conversation sort of evolved with this, with this, uh, lady who I was just, you know, talking to at the park and, you know, she was like, well, she's like, again, couldn't it just be that like, I'm not meant to be with these people and I'm just happier, you know, being alone. And I'm like, yeah, that totally is a possibility, but how many of these relationships is it going to take for you to see a pattern here? Right. It's already been seven or eight and you know, and you're 31 years old. And again, I'm not harping on this person because I've sort of fallen victim to excuse making and avoidance as well too. in you know, my younger years. And I think the important thing to note is that how many times does it take? How many failed relationships you know, does it take for us to look at ourselves and want to be better, you know, want to grow. Um, because one of the things she brought up in our conversation was like, you know, isn't the whole point of love to just be accepted for who you are. And I'm like, no, not in my opinion. Um, everything I've read from people that, you know, truly study human behavior patterns in romantic relationships, specifically Alain de Botton, whose chapter I just read you know, you, we should never go in a relationship and say, accept me for who everything I am. I mean, that's ridiculous. We have shitty parts about us. We are difficult to be with. I mean, be honest with yourself, right? We are, all of us are. And a relationship should be steeped in love and in growth. So one of the things I really like for people to grasp, and this is what I've grasped too, is that love is unconditional. Relationships are not. Um, Vienna Farron uh, posted a quote on uh, about this. I think this was a couple of weeks ago, mindful MFT on Instagram. And that's what it said. And I'm like, that's brilliant. That's exactly how I feel. Like love can be unconditional. You can love someone still and not want to be in a relationship with them because the relationship is conditional and none of the conditions are being met. You know, emotional availability wasn't there. Someone wasn't showing up. Someone was being very selfish, you know, uh, trust, commitment, those things that if you have value weren't there, you know, X, Y, and Z. But at some point, we have to stop victimizing ourselves every time and we have to work on ourselves. We have to take ourselves to therapy or find some sort of practice. It doesn't have to be therapy for everyone, but you can't just go run in the mountains and think that's going to heal you. That's a beautiful thing. You can't just go to the gym every day and think that's going to heal you. Those are amazing things. Those definitely help with mental health. They help with physical health, obviously. Um, They help with a lot of things. But I think really, truly, a lot of growth comes from, you know, investing and studying, just like, you know, you would read a textbook on, you know, physics or marketing or whatever you're into, whatever you studied. And then, you know, you take notes on it, you think about it, you know, and you come back to it and you read another thing and then you put it into practice or you sit with it. How does it make you feel? You know, like, um, and you use sort of your analytical mind to sort of analyze yourself and how you exist in space and relationships and, you know, the healthy parts and the unhealthy parts. Cause I'm sure we all have both of those. We all have unhealthy and un- and healthy parts of us specifically that come up when we truly love someone. And it was really interesting how this person brought up sort of, you know, after two or three to five years at the most, you know, things fizzled out and she sort of quote unquote falls out of love with these men. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Have you, are you, and I just kind of asked, do you think you really ever love them really? You know, because if this is a pattern and it's happened, you know, like seven times, that's just quite interesting. Something to look at. It's not that, you know, this is out of judgment. This is out of curiosity. We have to approach ourselves with curiosity and that's how we actually get things done. 
Um, cause if we're just continuously judging ourselves and I've fallen victim to that, um, I'm a, a person that ruminates a ton on my own mistakes or, you know, when I've hurt others or when I've been hurt and part of navigating that in a more healthy manner has me, you know, really looking at those things and utilizing them for my growth and not just sort of using them to self harm or to inflict self pain. And the conversation was really intriguing. Uh, again, I don't know this person well at all. Um, but you know, I just, it was sort of eye opening to me because this, this sort of narrative of, well, you know, it's probably just other people and, you know, just I'll, I'll meet my, my soulmate eventually. I think we really need to let go of that. We really got to let go of that because that's sort of a excuse to not work on ourselves, to not be the best person we can be for ourselves, for others that we love, be the best partner, be the best parent, be the best coworker, be the best teammate, whatever, however you want to slice it up, but be better versions of ourselves. I mean, we also have to take that with the caveat of that. We can't always consistently work and work and work, right? Just like when you go to the gym and work out a muscle group, you have to have rest days. You have to have days of play. You have to have days of recovery. And that's the same thing with your sort of emotional intelligence that you're building. You know, like you can read a bunch of books and, you know, write in your journal or your diary and go to therapy and talk amongst people that, that um, care about you about these things that are arising, whether it's your partner, uh, an ex or a friend or whoever that you, you know, are trying to bounce these ideas about yourself off of. And then you need to have days when you take a step back and just relax and not think about that. So your, you know, body and your sort of system has time to process it as well too. It's, it's, that's how we grow as human beings, right? We sort of have a learning phase, a rest period, a recovery period, and then we were rebuilt and then we learn some more, hopefully, right? It's, it's, but we're all about growth. I mean, we're growing until we die and we should do that not only physically, mentally, intellectually, but also emotionally, hopefully. I think that's very healthy. Uh, it's a very healthy goal for us to have. And so it was just a really interesting conversation. I felt like, you know, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, looking at my own life and how it's proliferated in various avenues of my personal relationships. You know, of course, I'm never going to take responsibility for the stuff that someone did or did not do. But I absolutely, 100% am going to take responsibility and accountability for all the things that I did or did not do, whether that's verbally, physically, whatever, right? And that's really important for me to grow as a man and as a human being, to be accountable for the times I did hurt someone that I cared about um, and, and the good things I contributed, you know, and really understand sort of the relationship between those two and look at the unhealthy things and look at, you know, what contributed to those, how I was triggered, you know, where that's coming from in my childhood and how to be better and do better. And again, it's a two part thing, right? First, we have to have the energy to make the first step of seeking guidance or seeking wisdom to get us to that state of awareness in the specific area that we need to have awareness in. And then once we're aware of our behavior patterns or our avoidance or our anxiousness or whatever, then when we see those patterns arise, that's the super hard part of being aware of those patterns arising and catching yourself between the trigger and the response and changing the behavior pattern whatever it is. And then you start to change yourself long-term because the more you do that, you repeat that habit, it becomes you, right? And if you're in a situation where you're growing and you're changing your behavior patterns, but your partner is not or refuses to, there's nothing you're going to do 
that's going to change their mind. They have to already want to meet you there. They have to already have a growth mindset. So, you know, one of the, I think, most dangerous things is when someone continuously promises another in a partnership, like, well, I'm working on myself or I'm really trying. And then months to years go by and nothing is really changing, right? But because we're, we're hopeful beings and we want to believe in people we love and have that faith in someone we love, you know, at some point, and this is, this is going to have to be defined differently for everyone because we're all individuals here. You make your own, your own boundary here. But at some point, if, if the actions aren't following the words, you know, we need to have enough self-respect and self-love to, uh, you know, consider ending that relationship, at least in the, the current container that it's in, because it, there's no more room for growth there because it's stunted. And that's when, you know, a, a lot of people can feel, you know, very much, uh, like they're not good enough or they'll never be good enough because, you know, their partner keeps asking them to sort of grow or change or meet them on a level that maybe they just don't have the capacity currently. Maybe they never will. Maybe they, maybe it's a issue of can't versus won't. Maybe it's a uh, issue of they're just not prioritizing that, you know, they're focused on other things. But if that sort of emotional growth and emotional depth is important to you, it absolutely must be one of the important things to your partner. If you truly want that relationship to be, um, as conscious as possible. So yeah, I had, I had a lot of compassion, empathy for this person and what she was experiencing. Um, cause no doubt just sort of listening to her story, I could see, you know, parallels in my own life. Uh, and you know, it's just, we, we don't realize we have a problem usually until, uh, the trauma and the pain gets bad enough. Right. That's unfortunate because we, we usually are aware of it already, but we sort of stick it, you know, behind our, uh, behind our mind somewhere and lock it up and we just go about our life and sort of act happy or act joyous, you know, and, and maybe for some people that joy is uh, real and I'm not judging that at all. I mean, that's fantastic. But if you're a person that really is searching for deep, intimate connection uh, like myself and you really value that, you value that part of being human, then uh, you absolutely have to get back there in the back of your mind, unlock those pieces that, uh, you know, Carl Jung and a lot of other, um, behavioral therapists consider your shadow, right? Uh, Connor Beaton from man talks, talks about this a lot. You have to get, you have to get back there and you have to look at it. And this doesn't have to be every single day until you beat yourself up, but most certainly you have to make it a priority. And just as much, you have to prioritize taking the rest so you can grow from looking into this, right? If you don't do that, you're probably never going to attract someone that is doing that. And if you do attract someone that is investing in the shadow self and the shadow work, you're probably not going to be ready to meet them. So the whole goal is while you are single or if you are in a relationship, start the work now, like put in the priority to understand yourself, to gain more self-knowledge, to gain more intimacy with yourself. So that way you can be honest and fully know yourself and therefore fully love and know another person if they're meeting you there, of course. So those are just some thoughts for this lovely Sunday. Uh, I have a great episode coming out tomorrow. I'm sure you guys are going to love it. We have recorded, I think, about 10 episodes already. So we have 10 in the queue. We're recording, I think, between one to three episodes a week. It's, it's been amazing. There's so many good talks that I've been having. Um, so if you know the last three talks, if something hasn't connected with you personally, just hang in there. I guarantee you there's going to be some stuff coming. Um, through the show here that uh, is, speaks to a lot of different folks. So I really hope that 
eventually something connects with you personally and you're able to take something away with it. And, you know, if you find value in it, uh, we, I really appreciate, I, I guess the first eight weeks of a podcast launching is the most important to sort of get it, uh, you know, in the certain algorithms on Apple and Spotify. And I really would love this podcast to reach more ears. I think these conversations are wonderful. So if you're listening and you have a quick couple seconds, if you, you know, could share one of the episodes that has resonated with you, if it's this one, that's awesome. If you could leave us a five-star review on Apple with uh, a written comment, that helps us a lot to get boosted to sort of the higher list for more engagement and more ears. And uh, same thing with Spotify. If you can, uh, you know, follow along via Spotify or Pandora or Google Podcasts, wherever you're you're listening from, we I really appreciate that. Um, it helps the podcast grow a ton. Uh, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy your Sunday. Um, I hope you get outside and enjoy some nature if you if you have that ability. But if not, I hope you're able to spend some time with someone you love. And if not, if you can't do that, um, I'm going to be spending most of Sunday alone. I have a ton of work and I took my dogs out and, um, I'll be in the studio doing a lot of recording, but, uh, I hope you take some time for yourself as well too. And, you know, not just sort of work, but maybe just sit down, focus on your breath for, even if it's just five minutes and meditate, if you're into that, maybe just lay down and focus on your belly, focus on your breathing and, Maybe try to find out what you're feeling on this Sunday and where you're feeling it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I wish you the best. And I hope you listen to tomorrow's episode. Thank you for listening to the Star of the Ego Feed the Soul podcast. If you guys want to give back, the best way you can give back is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts, subscribing or following along, and of course, sharing this podcast with your friends and your followers to help it grow, to help it reach more ears. Thank you guys so much, and we hope you tune in next time.